Well, we've got to finish our discussion of, uh, of prophecy that we started last week. What is a prophet? What are we talking about? As we, just to summarize what we did last week, a prophet is somebody who's called by God and to whom God has given his word. So we illustrated this from the opening chapters of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where God, in Ezekiel, God gave him a book and told him to eat it. And uh, then subsequently he said, see, I have put my word in your mouth. Uh, So the word has been placed in the mouth, not in the mind specifically, of the recipient. Does this make sense to you? So that the, um, for, for Daniel, for example, for John in the book of Revelation, there are times when they're given messages they don't even understand. Uh, not that they are in a language they don't know, but, be, but just putting what they have received together, they don't understand them. And the understanding of the prophet is not a necessary part of the message. And that, that then uh, translates into a critical point of view, and that is, that the prophet doesn't prepare his message. Um, he is prepared for the message, uh, but he simply receives it and proclaims it and may not even interpret it unless God has given him instructions to do so. A- am I making sense to you? Then that raises, with these things that we've seen, uh, that raises a couple of issues, maybe three. Uh, what about uh, the sons of the prophets? Uh, or the school of the prophets is what some of our translations read. What about New Testament prophets and are there prophets today? And so we'll take these uh, uh, quickly this morning. Uh, first, sons of the prophets. Second Kings 2.3 talks about the sons of the prophets. Um, these are their kids. <laughs> Amen? Well, no. What, what are they exactly there is no direct evidence of their function in Scripture. Nothing that tells us what the sons of the prophets are. My guess is, because of what we've seen, it's not a school training for... <laughs> how do you train to get the Word of God? Right? For God to put the Word in your mouth. Uh, so there would be no training you could go through. What I suggest is that these are something like um, disciples who gather around the prophet folks. As I've pointed out to you in recent weeks, uh, even non-believers in the Old Testament knew that that certain people were prophets of God. Yes? If you were particularly sensitive spiritually and you, you had in your region a prophet, you might well want to get around that person. Does that make sense? Spend some time with them. Hear the word. Um, learn from the prophet. Come to understand these things. Uh, But also, may well have been, so purpose of learning from the prophet, they may may also have functioned uh, as people who preserved the messages of the prophets and uh, disseminated them. Um, You will know the story of, perhaps, the story of Baruch in Jeremiah. Baruch is um, an assistant to Jeremiah, and at one point, God instructs him, I want you, to, I want you to, to give him all your messages, have him write them down, send them to the king. So uh, Jeremiah recited all the messages, and uh, they sent it to the king. The king <laughs> tore off a page, sla- slashed it with his pen knife, and threw it into the fire, uh, page by page as it was, as it was read. Uh, that's the only time we have a non-believer responding that way 
in the Old Testament to a prophet. Normally, they uh, fear the prophet. They distinguish the prophet. King Ahab, what does that name associate with, with in your mind? Evil. As evil as they get, he is a, uh, he is a convert to the first foreign missionary in Scripture. Jezebel. Uh, <laughs> who, uh, who has led him into Baal worship, and he knows that, uh, that Micaiah is a prophet of God. I, I told you he wouldn't say anything good for me. He never does. Didn't I tell you never to speak anything to me, but what, what is the word of the Lord? And so, okay, well, then you're going to die and everything you, you have. Uh, so even a, a wicked man like Ahab knows the prophet of God. Does that make sense to you? So the king, I, I, think, I think it's Jehoiakim, but I'm not sure. Um, the king destroys the, the, the word that the prophet has had written. So... Uh, they, so Baruch comes back to Jeremiah and the Lord tells Jeremiah I want you to recite everything that you gave to Baruch first and then I want you to add some messages to it so it may be that we have the record of the actual writing out of the message of, um, of uh, Jeremiah uh, in the book that we have I don't know the, the, there are problems with that view but, but furthermore folks how many books did Jesus write Hmm? None. Yeah, none. See, see, Matthew is the gospel of Matthew by Jesus. And Mark is the gospel of Mark by, by Jesus. Or, or are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the authors of those books? But do you doubt that the message of Jesus is contained in those books? No. So, um, would it be too hard to think that somebody like Isaiah... Uh, had disciples who actually preserved his messages over time and that uh, at least one or more of his disciples at some point put the book of Isaiah together. Does this make sense to you? I don't know how the book of Isaiah came to be in its present shape. Nobody, no, There's no evidence to be able to address that. And the, the evidence that you get in college courses on the history of the Bible is, is all based on false presuppositions. So uh, we, we simply don't know. But, but I, I'm confident the Sermon on the Mount is by Jesus. Yes, even though it's, it's only recorded in the, in the book of Matthew. Right? And you'll say, well, but isn't there a parallel passage in Luke? Yes, but it's not the Sermon on the Mount. It was, it was on a 747. Because it was the Sermon on the Plain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so... Uh, it's not per- you're not permitted to do that now, but in Jesus' day, you were permitted to do that. Uh, so, it yeah, just a second. Let me finish this. So, there's perhaps there they are serving the needs of the prophets and surely uh, uh, preserving, disseminating, and perhaps even uh, writing down the books. Yeah, Fred. Well, oh yeah, yeah. This would uh, the um, for the ancient Near East for the entirety of the Old Testament period. The ancient Near East, um, the way you preserve for future 
a message is by writing. The way you disseminate it is you give it orally. So one of Jesus' disciples may have memorized. In fact, in fact, we don't realize how important memory is and was. But when there's very little in written form, and you probably may, may not even be able to read, frankly, uh, the, the levels of literacy are, dis, are disputed in the ancient world, but rarely do they go above about 25% literacy for men and about 15% literacy, 12, 10 to 15% for women. You just didn't need to read. There wasn't anything to read. Uh, a sign here and there and, a, and maybe a posting of, of the cost of some service that you want, maybe. But for the most part, you, you probably couldn't read. Um, so, so people who can't read have prodigious memories. It's astonishing. Um, this is one of the things that we have to be very careful on in, in new technology Every new technological advance comes with all the benefits, but there are always side effects that we, we're, not, we're not even aware of until it's already hit. So um, I have here my New American Standard Bible, and I have my, my Bible. My iPad. Yes? This is what I work in, because I can take notes in here. If I take notes in there and I bring a different Bible, <laughs> I'm in trouble. But I can make my notes here and then work with them wherever I am on the computer. Does that make sense to you? But the ease with which you can, you can, you know what I'm talking about with um, hyperlinks in text? The ease that you can go with hyperlinks to it to another source can lead you on a, on a trail of hyperlinks and you forget what you were doing in the first place. It, so that the technology can be detrimental to our actual uh, study and thinking and, and careful thought. Does this make sense to you? So you have to be very careful on these things. So the, the disciples or the sons of the prophets may well have been like the disciples of Jesus in this regard. Um, well, what about New Testament prophets? Do we have New Testament prophets? There are those who say... Yes, there are clearly New Testament prophets, they, but they can be wrong. Um, the example comes as Paul is on his way back to, to uh, at, at, back at the end of his third mis- um, second missionary journey. Uh, at every point, third, third missionary journey, at every point along the way, the Holy Spirit testifies through people, don't go back to Jerusalem. Uh, bonds and imprisonment await you. And uh, um, at one place, a fellow named Agabus gets up, and he he takes um, uh, Paul's sash from his waist, and he binds, he ties Paul's hands with it, and he says, this is what the the Jews in Jerusalem are going to do with Paul. Like this, they're going to bind him. Well, when you get back to Jerusalem, then, and actually read the event, Nobody takes any part of Paul's clothing and ties his hands, and certainly not Jews. The Romans come and bind him and carry him off. So Agabus was wrong. Um, I'm not happy with that answer either. So what I have to do is figure out, well, what is going on here? Well, most of you have read at least some of the prophets do they always do just really odd, uh, 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 
clear and obvious and down-to-earth kinds of things? No? They do some really weird things from time to time, yes? Uh, Ezekiel is to take a brick, and bricks were made out of clay, sun-dried clay, so he was to take a brick and inscribe on it the, the walls of Babylon, I'm sorry, of Jerusalem. And then he was to take a bronze plate and place it between himself and prophesy against the brick. <clears throat> then he was to besiege the, the brick. Now that's getting a little odd, isn't it? It's just, just, you know, you begin to wonder about a guy who's besieging a brick. Yes? Uh, this is called a prophetic sign act. Okay? <coughs> prophetic sign act. That's the most important question. You're doing a sign. But a sign points beyond itself. The point is not the sign. The point is what the sign represents. <coughs> we've, we've discussed this before. Today, at some point, as you drive home from church, you will come to a place on the road where there is a post. And on that post is a piece of metal about so big it's all red with white letters, O, T, P, and S. And, um, well, the letters are not important. I mean, after all, it's a sign. Amen. But there's a white stripe around the thing. And you will do something very significant. You will stop and worship the sign. <laughs> Man, glory. So in a thousand years, they'll dig up our civilization. And they'll, uh, in the excavations, they'll say, what in the world is this? Well, it must have been the great God stop. And they worshipped. This was the god of intersections, crossroads. And they stopped at crossroads and, and, and worshipped the god stop there because that was how they maintained safety. Uh, pardon? That's suggestions. Yeah. The point I'm making is the sign is not the important thing, is it? What's important is to remind you this, this could be a dangerous intersection. You probably need to, to uh, stop your car Look both directions before you proceed uh, so that you can go safely because you're not interested in becoming a physicist. Because <laughs> you would be testing the law of physics that says two physical objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. There's no need to take that experiment, make it, make it work again because we've worked it out. Some of, you, some of us have worked it out on many occasions. Uh, uh, um, uh, and so... The point is that the sign is pointing to something more important. The sign is only an, a, a, a signpost to alert you to something that's coming. But in the prophetic sign acts, they are never literally fulfilled. They're always figurative. The, the sign act itself is figurative, building, taking a brick and inscribing the, 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 the walls of Jerusalem on it and besieging the brick. What in the world would this even mean? and putting a bronze plate between Ezekiel and, and, the, and the brick. The bronze plate is there to suggest what was in Deuteronomy 28, that when Israel prays and they're under curse, the heavens will be like bronze above them. Not that their prayers can't get through, but that rain can't get through to the land, if you look in the context. So, so it will be like you have bronze heavens, and the rain falls and never gets to the land. Does this make sense to you? So all of that in Ezekiel's setting is a prophetic sign act, and it's not intended to be taken absolutely literally. In fact, it was the Jews who got 
Paul bound in Jerusalem. Are you with me here? They think that he's brought a Gentile into the, into the uh, temple courts. After all, Timothy was with him and somebody else. Who was that? There was a, there was a Gentile with him. Uh, not Timothy. Couldn't have been Timothy. Was it? No, Silas was Jewish. It might have been Titus. Uh, was with him. And um, um, they went on a riot and when the Romans came in to see what was going on, it, it all, all the fingers were pointing at Paul. So they grabbed Paul and pulled him off, thinking he was another guy setting up a riot, trying to overthrow the government and so on. Are you with me here? Uh, so it was, in fact, the Jews who got Paul bound. But in the Old Testament, prophetic sign acts are always figurative, anticipating the larger reality that they will represent when... Uh, the event comes to pass. Does this make sense to you? So if that's your best evidence that, that prophets can get it wrong, then you're on wrong, you're on unsound footing. Uh, we had some friends in Memphis went to our church, and she was a student at the college. Um, they had been in a group that practiced prophecy. And everything they told them to do got them deeper and deeper into trouble. Um, to the point where they were just simply destitute. And he had he was a professional man, but they were simply destitute, listening to all these folks. Um, they were committed to the notion that prophets can be wrong. Well, not scripture. Scripture has two tests of a prophet. They have not been rescinded. They have not been amended. The two tests of a prophet are that when the prophet predicts something that's coming in the future, it will come to pass. And second... Um, it must be his message must be completely co coherent with previous revelation. Are you with me here? So, as far as I can tell, let's look at some of this though. Matthew one twenty two two five fifteen and so on and so on and so on. You have references to prophets. The he, the Greek word that's translated prophet. This is going to be tough, and it's going to it's going to be really hard on you. Hope you can handle this. But the Greek word for prophet. Are you ready? is prophetes. <laughs> okay? I know that's hard. <laughs> but uh, it's the same word that's used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and, 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 and. Um, they bring a message from God. This is what the New Testament prophets do. They bring a message from God um, to the people of God, a message that may include prediction, it doesn't have to, but it may include a prediction of uh, the future and must fit with prior revelation. Um, if the prophet does not agree with prior revelation, then he is shown to be a false prophet. Does this make sense to you? Thus, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill. Matthew, uh, Paul, Paul says in Romans chapter uh, th uh, 3, but now a without law righteousness is revealed, being testified by the law and the prophets. And again, he says in chapter 4, well, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He quotes the law and the prophets, and law in Genesis 15.6, and the prophets in Psalm um, 32 uh, in Romans uh, 4. So, so the point is that what the New Testament prophets do is exactly what the Old Testament prophets do. And furthermore, 
Can they be, be mistaken? We've already referred to this, Acts 21.10. The answer is no. If they're mistaken, they're not prophets. Um, now that raises the question, what about prophets today? Scripture never says overtly whether there are prophets today or not. But it does make two statements. Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 20, uh, they are the foundation of the church. Okay? Uh, now, this is metaphorical language, and since it's metaphorical language, we have to stop and think about what's, what's happening in metaphor. When you use a metaphor, you are asserting that there is a comparison between two subjects, one that you're talking about and the other that you want to compare it to. But that assertion of comparison between the two uh, implies that they share certain traits with one another, but not all traits. So when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If I'm teaching John 10 and I want to unpack that metaphor of sheep, what does Jesus say about the waywardness of sheep in John 10? It's a bit of an unfair question, but let me answer it. Nothing. Yeah, but but doesn't Isaiah 53 say? Yeah, it does. All we like sheep have gone astray. But that's Isaiah 53. That's not Jesus. Okay. If I'm going to expound John 10, I've got to expound John 10. Well, what, what does the metaphor of sheep imply in John 10? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yes? They know me, I know them, they follow me. I, I, I am the, the gate of the sheep. There is a place of safety for them, and at times I lead them out of that to find pasture. Well, what does that mean? So we've got to eat grass, amen? <laughs> uh, well, that's why I eat bread, because it's made out of grass. Hey, glory. So, but, but, the, but the point is not that, that um, they are wayward. The point is that Jesus intends to provide all the needs of his people who follow him like sheep. So there, is, there are shared characteristics between sheep and Christians on the one hand, uh, shepherds and Jesus on the other. So John 10 being the message on the great, uh, the good shepherd, then it makes perfect sense. Does it make sense to you? If I'm teaching not John 10, but on the concept of sheep in the Old Testament, I may want to bring in Isaiah 53. Yes? So I, I surely will also want to bring in Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff, they break my leg when I'm wayward. But the reason the shepherd does that is he binds the leg and then carries the lamb until it's bonded to him and won't ever leave his side. So even the, even the harsh treatment of the lamb, the shocking treatment of the lamb, is an act of the love of the, of the shepherd who wants the shepherd who wants the sheep to be close and in close fellowship with him. Does this make sense to you? So, so I've got to watch out on these uh, kinds of things. Ephesians 2.20 then, let's go there. Ephesians 2.20, um, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. What, is the, what does it mean, apostles? Well, see, I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary. For you who are visiting, 
I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary. I know great and wise things most people don't know. And Ephesians 2 is in, is, is in Ephesians. And Ephesians 2 is only two chapters before Ephesians 4. Glory. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some pastors. I'm sorry, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Yes? Are these offices of the church... Not really, not really offices. What are they then? Spiritual gifts. Uh, spiritual gifts. Um, yes, okay. I'm still hung up on prophets today, mm-hmm. which you mentioned a while ago, and I'm thinking about what John said in Revelation that, that you can't add to. And I'm thinking if you're a modern day prophet, you're adding. But when John wrote that, what did add to the words of this book mean? The book of Revelation, not to the whole Bible. I don't, I, I'm going to turn off my recorder. I'm going to say something heretical. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know of any, any strong reasons, certainly in the Bible, I know of no strong reasons to conclude that Revelation is, 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 uh, is closed. Uh, in fact, yeah, that there is no more Revelation to, to be expected. In Joel 2, which is quoted in Acts 2, uh, the promise is, it appears to be about the kingdom, um, that in the kingdom all of God's people will be prophets. Uh, and I can en- en- envision a situation where, <laughs> assuming there is a millennium, which I do, all right, but uh, not all of us necessarily do, but assuming there is a millennium, I can conceive a situation in which God would inspire one of us to write first and second church. So we got first and second kings. Yes, which starts out with David and ends with Babylonian captivity. So I got first and second church which start with the resurrection and end with the tribulation. So, so, so what's kings doing? It's explaining what happened to the kingdom. And first and second church might be written to, to record for all succeeding generations why, what happened with the church, what was God doing, and why did it turn out the way it did. Does this make sense to you? So I can at least foresee that as a possibility. The the point I'm making then is that um, God gave prophets even after Jesus. They're in the book of Acts. i got to deal with that. Yes? Not after the book of Revelation. We don't have any record of it. But first, um, I've got to go back to my point. Apostles and prophets are spiritual gifts. What fell? Oh, is that piece of paper? My wife put that in my in my shirt and now has embarrassed me before the whole class. Uh, well, no, it's. I asked her for a piece of scrap paper and she handed me a piece of good paper. But anyway, none of your words shall fall to the ground. None of my words shall fall to the ground, Linda. Uh-huh. How did the prophet, did God give them special powers to remember everything that they were told? Apparently, based on what we mentioned about <coughs> Jeremiah and Baruch, that he, he, he dictated all of his messages to Baruch. Those were destroyed. So he dictated all of those and some more. 
that um, uh, that uh, had been destroyed, but some more added to them. So yeah, apparently. Yeah. So how does he remember all that? Before it's written. God puts the puts the word in your mouth. <clears throat> so, yeah. Well, when you get bring God into it, I can believe anything. So uh, <laughs> now back to the spiritual gifts issue. Did you turn your recorder off? It's still running. I didn't actually turn it off. Uh, to get back to the spiritual gifts issue, turn to Acts chapter one. What what are apostles? In Acts chapter one. I see we're still not going to get to Isaiah today. In Acts chapter 1, um, verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brothers. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold in the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For uh, he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. Parenthetically, uh, we'll skip the parenthesis. Verse 24, it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. Now, let me stop and say, from Peter's point of view, an apostle is, the, is a witness of the resurrection. Yes? So, now I'm going to create a problem. We'll solve it, but, but hang on. Uh, so, whoever is to be... Uh, put in the place, must be chosen by God, and secondly, must be somebody who accompanied us from John's baptism until the time Jesus was taken up. Why is that an important aspect of being an apostle? And he was witness to the miracles. Okay. Uh, to what Jesus said. But, yeah, that, and that's important, but why would it be necessary, both before the crucifixion and after, to have this, have this guy accompanying the other apostles. That's the point. I have to. I have to have somebody who saw Jesus before the crucifixion and after to be able to say this is the same person. Um, you will say to me now, what about Paul? Did he? Turn to Second Corinthians chapter three said he met him on the road to Damascus. And I, I'm asking the question, did he really? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm sorry, it's actually verse 5. Uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. At my... NASV has recognized in Greek, that's an appropriate translation. It's not a wrong translation, but, but some of our translations, we know no one according to the flesh anymore. Um, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. 
Let me ask you a question. Um, even though is introducing what would be um, a conditional clause. Okay. Yes. No. Yes. If we have, and, and I think King James says, "If we have known Christ according to the flesh, we know Him so no longer." So, what kind of condition is this? I treated it as a contrary to fact condition for decades. Until one day I was reading the text again and I thought, this isn't contrary to fact, it's the wrong construction. What does contrary to fact mean? Disagree. Yeah, with, yeah. When, I, when I give a contrary to fact uh, uh, condition, the one that we're most familiar with is if I were you. I am obviously not, but if I were. Do you follow? Paul is actually saying here that there is a possibility he knew Jesus according to the flesh. Now let me, let me try to support that. What, how does Paul describe himself in Galatians? As a, as a Pharisee, how does he describe himself? Yeah, that's actually in, in Philippians. What does he say in Galatians? I was more zealous for the, for the uh, ancestral traditions than anyone in my generation. And he grew up in Jerusalem. What are the chances when that when Jesus is preaching and Pharisees have come to hear him that Paul is in that bunch? Yeah. Then he knew him only according to the flesh. But he knew him according to the flesh. And now he has encountered him after the resurrection. And he can say that the person that I saw before is the person I saw, I, I saw in, the, in the vision. Do you follow this? So Paul fits that category. How many of such apostles can there be today? None. Then I've got a base core of apostles. Yes? So what we said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Um, uh, what we have seen and heard, we, we announce to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, you don't know Jesus apart from the apostolic message. You can't know Jesus apart from the apostolic message. Are you with me here? The, the point is that while there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, there are, there are several mediators of the message of Jesus. Do you follow this? Without them, I cannot claim to have relationship with Jesus. Fred? Well, at, at this point, there are 500 that, in 1 Corinthians 15, there are 500. But what's critical at this point is that the foundation of the church is not the 500, it's the 12. And the prophets. Yes? Um, how often, now I talked to you about metaphor and how you uh, use and understand metaphor. Yes? What is the relationship of the apostles and prophets to the church in Ephesians 2.20? Go back to the text. If you haven't turned there, Ephesians 2.20, go look at it. Foundation. How long in the building of an edifice, how much time in the building of an edifice do you use in, in building the foundation? The whole process... Or the beginning? The beginning. 
then the apostles, who are time-locked. There cannot be such apostles as Peter and John now. Yes? Because there's nobody in our day who saw Jesus before the resurrection, before the crucifixion. You may have a vision of Jesus. God's able to do these things. You might have a vision of Jesus, but you cannot be a witness of the resurrection because you didn't see him before the cross. Are you with me here? Then, then not only the apostles are the foundation of the church, but also the prophets. So that, that doesn't prove anything, but it's consistent with the notion that the prophets are probably the beginning. Let me take one more verse. Yes. If, if the prophesied Jesus will return, mm-hmm. okay, well, he has yet to return. Is it's that, true. That, are they playing the role of prophet or apostle? Both. Both. Yeah, apostle, I, I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that the apostleship probably included almost all the gifts. And, and the others are, are um, um, uh, analytical to all the gifts. One other passage I want us to look at, and that's Luke 8, uh, 16, 19 to 31. You know this passage. Once you get there, you will know exactly where, where we're going with this. Luke um, 16, 19 to 31. Um, what's important in the passage is the end. This is Lazarus and the rich man. Um, in verse, uh, we're, we're just going to read a few Verses, verse 27, uh, he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not come also to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone comes uh, to them from the dead, they will repent. Now you have this important statement, verse 31. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. That's got to be significant about Jesus' own life. Uh, uh, The Jewish leadership simply would not, even though they knew the testimony of the resurrection, they heard the words of the prisoners, of the uh, guards, they wouldn't accept the message of the resurrection. It, ca- it cannot be true. It's got to be false. Are you with me here? So you had a long quote. Is it yeah, it is. That's right. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, I'll have to change that. But um, the, the point that I'd like to make is, folks, if you won't pay attention to Scripture, why do we need more prophets? And if you do pay attention to Scripture... Why do we need more prophets? If it was sufficient to have Moses and the Old Testament prophets when Jesus spoke, and that's all they had, yes? If that was enough, then why do we need more prophets today? Now, this is not to say that God cannot give prophets. God's God. Amen? He's like the 600-pound gorilla. Where does he sleep? Anywhere he wants. God can do pretty much what he wants, when he wants, as he wants. He is not tied to my doctrinal statement. Yes? But what does the scripture lead me to expect? Not necessarily a continuation of prophets. Um, By the time you get to Augustine in the 4th century, these gifts of prophecy and tongues were so ancient 
They didn't even know what tongues was. That's the fourth century. Right? So my point is that in, in the church, um, it's never right to say that any gift has ceased because where is the church? Where, where would you look to find the church? I'm, I'm hearing sounds but no words. Well, you want to go someplace and look for the church. Where would you go? No, I mean on the, on in out in reality. You want to go out someplace and you want to find where the steeples are, <laughs> or or not? <laughs> would you would you not say all over the earth? Yeah, but how about heaven? Is the body of Christ a unity? Have, have any of the members of the body of Christ ceased to exist? No. A large, a large multitude of them is in, in heaven with the Lord today. Are, are they still members of the body of Christ? How they function, I don't know, but the body of Christ is necessary all every place where it exists. Are you with me here? I need the fellowship of the saints, wherever I am, including heaven, and in some sense, then apostles are still ministering to the church in first form, in written form, and in a second form, I don't understand how, but participating in the fullness of the body of Christ and its function. Okay. Am I wrong in thinking that John was the only prophet that prophesied to the end of time? Everything from yeah. the Old Testament prophet. Well, yeah. It, I get taking the spirit of your question. Uh, no, probably not, because Paul does too. Um, Peter does. Okay. Yeah. Peter talks about the dissolution of the present created order and its recreation. So Peter does as well. My the, the point being, if they prophesy to the end of time mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. why do we need Except that, except that Joel two says there will be, and, and I, I can't, I can't uh, escape that. I can't u- let my theology determine how I deal with, with the data of Scripture. I, my theology gets me started, but it has to be correctable by Scripture. So, um, what we're talking about in the book of Isaiah is something relatively unique. Um, so. This last statement on the screen is critical. We're dealing with something unique. There has not been a huge body of prophets, but it is a goodly company of the prophets. Are you with me here? We should value them because God gave them unusual ministry, unusual capacity for service, and they have served us in unusual ways. And what we're reading in Isaiah is not Isaiah looking at the world through what he knows and through some kind of unusual wisdom that he has in himself is extrapolating to what's going to happen. We're seeing somebody who is a mouth of God. The way we looked at it with, with, with um, Moses and Aaron in Exodus 3 and Exodus 7, the way we look at it in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel with their specific unusual call call experiences um, they are a mouth of God and as I asked you some time ago how much does your mouth get involved in planning the message 
Not at all. My mouth may get involved in messing up the message. Amen? But it's not going to get involved in um, forming the message. This is from God. And we're reading then the prophets, uh, and especially as we start Isaiah, Lord willing, next week. Uh, as we start Isaiah, then we're reading God's special word, not only for his time. This is another, it's a little bit late to be starting one more point here, but let me take one, a, a couple of minutes. It is common among Old Testament scholars to say the prophet spoke only for his own time. That's nonsense. Because if you write, you have acknowledged that you're not communicating only for your own time. You're, we said this. In order to disseminate a message, you do it orally. But to preserve it for the future, you write. If it's written, it's for the future, not just for Isaiah's own time. Are you with me here? So uh, whatever was written beforehand, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever was written beforehand was written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we're reading a message that is framed by the needs and experiences of Isaiah in his day in the 8th century BC, but it's a message that's for all of the people of God throughout all the centuries. Let's close with prayer and we'll come back. Next week, we start first uh, Isaiah chapter 1. Thank you, Lord, finally getting there, but we'll start it next week for sure. Father, this is your word, and it was specially given. This is not part of a vast body of revelation that you have given, and, and uh, all of us may enter into it. This is a special revelation you have given and preserved for how many centuries now? Um, if Moses wrote in the 15th century B.C., this is now the 31st, 35th century since he wrote his first books, and we still are profiting from them. You have not been adding to them. We have only this word from you. This is a sure word to which we must attend, as Peter says. So, Father, give us hearts to attend to your word. For Jesus' sake, amen.